Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And we are here to bring you another exciting episode. We've uh, been having a continuing uh, conversation um, over the course of, well, I don't know whenever we started talking about uh, critical race theory. Yeah, um, all, it might have been all last the way summer. Back, yeah, last year around um, this time. Yeah, so um, tonight we want to talk again about uh, kind of the narrow uh, discussion in that um, with the SBC Resolution 9 um, and stuff like that. So, you know, there there is this wide range of things that we're talking about um so let's narrow it in um, we've talked about you know the issues surrounding the recent events that we everybody's talking about um, but let's go back to uh the the narrow side of the sbc tonight and so we have a guest with us tonight um uh, as you can see on the screen it says on the line with john pabone and other concerned north carolina southern baptists and so we do have a group um we have one guy that uh, we're kind of, you know, he's he's taken up the mantle at least to talk about it anyway. But we do have some concerns um, within the SBC. We voiced our concerns um, right. with it as well. So this isn't just a, a minority minority or anything. But there are um, other you know, pastors, other pastors, other congregations um, talking about this, and so we want to sort of continue uh, the conversation um, with this. And so this is another one that uh, Dave had cooked up. So I'll yeah, let him so, take away. Um, John has been a good uh, friend, mentor, uh, discipler of me for many years. I was actually saying before John got on here that the reason that we even have this podcast, I can trace back to John because he turned me on to James White, which turned me on to listening to podcasting and apologetics. So uh, thank you, John. This is your uh, like brain grandchild. So, uh, <laughs> But with that said, um, we know you can't see everyone here, and uh, that's pretty common common for the way we do this. Um, you know, those of you listening on the podcast say, see people, wait, what? Uh, so we do just want to allow uh, each of these individuals to kind of just say, hey, and just give us a, a little bit of background on themselves um, as concerned Christians. Uh, my, my name is John, and uh, my identity is I'm a Christian. Uh, that Amen. is it. I have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm a new man. And I am also a thinking Christian, as I think we are commanded by Scripture to be. And so um, we believe that uh, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, and it is the rule of faith and practice. And so we earnestly and honestly seek to live our lives in accordance with what God has said. And so my identity is I'm a Christian. Amen. Amen. All right. Go for it, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Jim. Um, I'm uh, married for 20 years, a father of nine, and my second grandchild on the way. So uh, teaching God's truths in my family is, is important. And uh, just seeing how the uh, society uh, impact on what is truth is trying to veer that away. And uh, I have to just put my hope in the fact that God's truth is his truth, and nothing's going to change that. So just for me, it's looking at it as, as a a man trying to lead my family in a biblical direction according to God's uh, mandates and uh, just how we live uh, day to day uh, in light of that. 
this is Jason. Um, echo what both my brothers said there. Recently married myself, been walking as a Christian for about 20 years now. Um, probably held every heresy along the way and, you know, <laughs> continually looking to the word to be transformed as we're called to. And um, we do, um, in our conversations, we try to be thinking and we are Christians first. That's our identity. And there's something that seems to be lost right now with that, um, bringing in some of the... Uh, the different things within not only the SBC, but we just see this religion almost being pushed worldwide right now um, on all this. And so how do we have a honest, and when I say honest, a Christian conversation about these things and start with God and his word first. And that's where our identity is in Christ. Um, so yeah, looking forward to the discussion. Yeah. So the reason for this discussion actually occurred through some phone conversations that I'd had with John when I had some questions and some thoughts and wanted to get his feeling on some things. And uh, those like quick conversations turned into like hour, hour and a half conversations. And it was really enjoyable, uh, really challenging, and certainly uh, drew me back again to God's word each time. And so with that said, I'm just going to kind of jump into the set of questions that we have. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, if you all gentlemen don't mind and do it however you want to in what order you want, uh, could you share with us some of your concerns that you have regarding the current response of the SBC to the ongoing social justice movement? Okay, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I, right now, I'm, and, and I'm just going to be very honest, I'm speaking uh, as I see things. It seems to be another gospel. Mm. Um, it seems to me that if this were, if Paul were alive today, he'd be writing a letter to the SBC along the lines of Galatia. Along the lines of, you know, there, you know, if, if, if we are Christians, then do we find ourselves justified by the work of Christ before God and therefore reconciled to one another? Or do we need Christ plus? It seems like this is Christ plus to me. And that's just my opinion um, as I'm looking at it, uh, because I don't understand how much higher you can get them to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Uh, that makes no sense to yeah. me either. Either we're positionally justified before God, and we are truly reconciled uh, to one another, or we're not. So this this is this is the way I, I'm seeing this 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 argument. Hmm. Yeah, and it, um, I would agree with that. The uh, the language being used, even um, it's like bringing in the outsider's language to now sprinkle into Christianity and you're not having a biblical conversation at that point because you're, you're redefining the terms, basically. Uh, just thinking of the uh, SBC president's statement the other day on the Black Lives, we, Christians need to be, or Southern Baptists need to be saying Black Lives Matter. There's an implication there that we're saying people are less or there's divisions amongst us and that you now define the terms and throw the word gospel and all of a sudden the gospel we've been proclaiming is not good enough. Mm. And now we've got to adopt these different various ways of communicating that to a certain identity group. And, and that's not Christianity. Um, and I'm, I'm with John that I think Galatians is a very great letter to go to. I think we've all probably spent some time in it as we, as we thought through these things, because 
there, there is one Christ, and he is our head, and that's who we are reconciled through. Yeah, I don't want to sound like we're just echoing here, but uh, I, I definitely have to agree. The uh, it, It's another gospel. This is not the gospel presented in God's word. And uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, yes, is there an injustice and somebody's wrong, but we're, we're overlooking the fact that we've all wronged the holy God. And that's yeah. the conversation that's getting lost in this is it's now centered on man instead of focused on our creator. Again, we're looking right at that. Like scripture says, we're looking at the uh, creation over the creator. And this is not, uh, um, it, it's not the direction that we definitely want to be seeing it go. And talking about the language used there, I, I don't remember who I got this quote from, but uh, the world is dead, not broken. It needs to be redeemed and not fixed. We're using words like it's a broken system. We need to fix it instead of we are a dead, lost people who need to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. So this is another gospel. Like, like John said, it's Christ plus instead of faith alone and Christ alone. God's truth is his truth. So yeah. with that said, um, I don't know if you are at all familiar with my background. Uh, I teach communication at the college level. Um, I have a master's degree in communication. In fact, I used postmodern research methods in my thesis. And so things like critical theory, critical race theory, these were terms that I studied at the state university here in Springfield. I'm a graduate of Missouri State. And so it's just been crazy to me because uh, – Eight years ago, when I was in my graduate program working through my degree in my rhetorical theory class, I remember reading about critical theory, critical race theory, thinking even then, man, these are abhorrent to the Christian position. And now to see that turned and those terminologies used from the lips of the Southern Baptist Convention's president, again, terms like white privilege, I'm not even sure and I do not say this to be condescending or mean, the majority of people have no idea when they say critical theory, critical race theory, white privilege, what they're actually even saying and where that's rooted. And that's so extremely troubling to me as someone who is a published researcher in that field. Uh, and that's what just gets me there playing with fire. And so um, what do you think people like not only me as a pastor, but Adam and other lay leaders can do to address these current uh, trends? Go on, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was just thinking the word of God. I mean, it really, it really starts with did God really say um, from the get go? That's a conversation me and my brothers here have been having. Is, is it starts with that and it starts with uh what jim was saying the man-centeredness of everything so um it's i kind of equate it to maybe this is a good or a bad analogy americanism as christians you know sometimes mm -hmm. we we uphold the flag higher than we uphold our god in yeah. our churches you know um as far as we we view america as the godly nation that we know we know it not to be it's a broken nation just like the rest of the world it's a it's a nation in need of redemption, individuals needing redemption. And so we, we learn all these things and we stay in the minutia of the world. Um, and we, we kind of lose focus on the word and the Bible and growing in our faith and encouraging one another in those ways to where it's almost like a constant, we're on a defense, but we're using the enemies. We're trying to use the enemy's weapons when we really need to be wielding the sword of the spirit that we're commanded to wield. Um, so that's just kind of my initial take on the, the terminology and the language and even the getting to know it. I, um, 
no, I'm, I'm definitely not the most well-versed in critical race theory and all of these things. And when I do the initial uh, research on it, 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 it's like you said, it's abhorrent. It, it's something that as Christians in the church, it, it's contradictory to what we're taught in the Bible. Um, because it's the human race <laughs> that rebelled against God that, that needs redemption. And that's, that's on a collective level, but in an individual savior level that, that we see that we are reconciled to Christ. So once we become Christians, that's our education to the world is the call to repentance. And then what does the word say about us as Christians? How are we to relate to one another now using biblical terminology because that's something i know um once again me and my brothers here have been discussing how do we reclaim biblical terminology and and language and that's that really just seems like it's lost right now yeah so do you see yeah so whenever you're talking um i guess the level where you guys are at do you see um people coming in and do you i don't know if you have any examples or anything but where somebody has had a biblical word and definition, but has come in and changed it. You know, do you see that happening um, maybe in your local area? I don't know if like, you know, discussing with pastors when you get together, um, do you see like an exchange of definitions and terms going on? I haven't seen that as much, um, but to be quite honest, and and I'm just going to be brutally honest here, it's the hardest thing to get like-minded pastors in the same room to discuss anything of substance. Hmm. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. So, so you're saying, yeah, we're not having the conversation. We're not even having, yeah. we're not even coming to the table. Hmm. I mean, really, I mean, I don't know what your experience is where you're at, but how often have you been able to engage your local pastors more than one-on-one with like-minded individuals uh, to really have a, a, a general conversation about Resolution 9. As a matter of fact, I've asked people about Resolution 9 who are Southern Baptist pastors. They have no idea what it is. Yeah. They have no idea. <laughs> they have no idea. And and that's the problem. My my people go to destruction for lack of knowledge. That's what the Word of God says, right? And yes. I, I do want to pick up something about terminology. So we we when we adopt the terminology of anyone that is not coming to in good faith, hear what you have to say, you have already given up a lot. There is, there, this is not a conversation because you can't have a conversation with someone who doesn't want to hear what you have to say. This is rather an incremental uh, conquering, right? It, it yeah. is, you know, the camel's got his nose under the tent, and next thing you know, he's got his eyes and then his ears. Next thing you know, you know, the, the camel's in the tent. And this is not about conversation. And, and really, to be quite honest, if we're looking at, and I, again, I'm not an expert in Marxism or anything like that, but Karl Marx was an atheist. So now you are taking an non-theistic approach to the world's problems. In a non-theistic approach, there is no sin. Yeah. And if there's no sin, then, you know, what are we dealing with? And so I have my question would be, and just asking us in general, why have we forsaken the biblical language? So so the sound by Black Lives Matter sounds really great, right? Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. And then we say all lives matter. Okay, why do all lives matter? Yeah. 
why? What, it, what is the biblical warrant for us to say all lives matter? You know what? I'll, I'll ask you guys. I mean, let's have the conversation. Why yeah. do all lives matter? Yeah. And image I mean, of, go for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is image of God. It is the Imago Dei. Um, but, you know, I think uh, what we're seeing here is, especially in the SBC, is the fact of we worked hard for the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, but now we're going to have to work far, work hard for the other attributes of Scripture. <laughs> and so now we're in the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, you know, you, you'll, you'll find people that will say, well, yeah, it's authoritative. Yeah, if it's authoritative, I believe in this God. Okay, it can be. There's, there, but there's still, I am transcending my mind to up to God, but they're still not going, God has condescended and said, and right. being faithful to that. So that's the difference. That's why we're talking past each other. But like I'd say, is uh, we're going to critical race theory in academia because we are finding scripture is not sufficient. So here's what I'm blown away by, and maybe you guys can uh, comment some on this. So I see within the United States all the time reading comprehension levels continue to decline. So what does the Southern Baptist Convention do? They get some academics together to put together an extremely complex resolution about how we should embrace critical race theory when the vast majority of the people in their churches haven't even read the Bible all the way through. So we've now undermined the doctrine, uh, yeah, the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, and we've said, not only is the Bible not enough, let's adopt this complex, convoluted system based upon a faulty worldview and say that's how we need to evaluate the way we deal with people of other races and ethnic groups. And to me, it's extremely troubling, and, and I don't even know where to begin to engage people because the majority of the folks... The majority of the folks who I went to seminary with, and I would even go to stay up, the people that I teach with, have never actually read anything by a critical race theorist. And yeah, that's that. incredibly troubling. So I know that wasn't really much of a question there, but uh, well, yeah, how did you all kind of... Statement. It was a wonderful statement, David. I, I, I love the statement. I thought, I thought it needs to be said, because yeah. you're right. Um, I think... You know, Psalm 1 maybe has, has something for us, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand yeah. in the path of sinners, mm. nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is, is in the word of the Lord, and on the word of the Lord he meditates day and night. The problem is, again, and I think you're right, Adam, this, this is not a new argument. This is, has God really said? Yeah. And did God really mean what he said? And, and has he said enough? Yeah, and and exactly, is it effective? Um, is and so, so we, the Bible speaks in categories. I mean, the Bible is a category, right? Creator, created, mm -hmm. non-living, living, living, image bearer, non-image bearer, saint, sinner. The Bible speaks in categories all the time. Yeah, but we've capitulated and we started using categories that are. They're not biblical categories, and they're defined by somebody else. And the terms change all the time. Yeah. And I think it's disingenuous for us, on the one hand, to say infallible and in the word of God, rule of faith, and on the other hand, say 
but we need to do this and we need to bring this into this. If God is wisdom, what other wisdom do we need? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, dismissive, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, why are we having the conversation without God in the conversation? And then what you get is, oh, if you say, hey, we need to be preaching the gospel, then you're going to be ridiculed because you're not, that's not the issue right now. That's, yeah. that's, that's the response that I've seen online is, that's not the issue right now. I'm thinking, wait a second, that's always the issue. That's always the problem. And then I think it's also key, and, and I'm curious what your thoughts on, when we think about the term justice being thrown around, I mean, listen to Dr. Greer's sermon, justice, inequality, oppression, all of those terms are being used. But from which basis are they being defined? And then how do we engage our people who hear leaders like that saying those terms and then bring them back into no, no biblical categories? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think honestly, that's one of the words that you talked about. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I got a word getting redefined. Justice is the one I was going to go to, if any of them that we've seen here. And yeah, what is justice and who defines that justice? And again, it goes to taking away from the word of God instead of using God, God's word to impact how we think. We're using our progressive philosophy to interpret scripture, and that is part of justice. But what is justice? Okay, justice is important, but who's it important to? Our first and foremost is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and that's where we should focus. So everything else, if you're trying to fix something, uh, it, it's not going to work without God being at the center. And uh, it's a, to me, it's more a deliberate, intentional segregation instead of the unity of uh, the church body uh, unified in the spirit where we're intentionally being segregated and causing this disunity over, yeah, it's, it is a gospel issue. And to say that the gospel is not relevant right now is to, to spit in the face of God. Right on. Yeah. So, like, this is one of the issues that I have the biggest concern about. Um, knowing my Baptist history and my Southern Baptist history, and I'm very grateful for the good professors that I had, uh, especially when we think about conservative resurgence, and I've done a lot of work recently about inerrancy. Um, it's been a big issue for me. Uh, Baptist in the Bible, great book. I mean, we've got some other books here behind us that we've, we've looked through. Uh, one of the issues that made its way into the Southern Baptist Convention in the probably post-World War II up until it was combated in the conservative resurgence was that the professors had snuck in and had denounced, well, they wouldn't have said the inerrancy, the infallibility of Scripture, right? Uh, what we see now is that has occurred, but people are holding up the mantra of inerrancy. Uh, do you think that there is a way that Southern Baptists can even recover from this issue when it comes to critical race theory? And I mean, because I love being an SBC pastor. Um, man, I love working with the SBC and for the SBC. I love being able to teach SBC students. And my biggest concern is how do we retake the language? How do we combat this issue, like from the pulpit, from the pew, uh, from the state convention level? Brother, you are beating a good drum there. <laughs> the, uh, I, I personally think the answer to that is 
We have too strong a central Baptist government right now. Hmm. The local church is the answer to that. Our pastors and our churches, our elders, need to be scholarly in their study of the Word. They need to be diligent. The Titus model, older teaching the younger. Um, We need to see that. We need to see managing our households well. Um, you know, you can see across America that that's definitely an issue for us. And that starts at the local level. That, that's something that's a bottom up. We have we have almost abdicated our, our study of the Bible to a seminary. Mm-hmm. And yes. unless you go to a yes. seminary, you are not authorized to preach the word of God. And I am definitely not a anti-scholarship guy. But to say that, you know, let's put together a pastor search committee and go find somebody that none of us know because they've gone through a master of divinity at this certain seminary, they're going to be the answer to all our problems, which brings itself to that question of the professors that are being brought in. That's less of an issue if you're your men who may be going to get that scholarship are already aware of these things and can re- refute it then and there if it needs to be. But that's something... Um, in our church, we're really looking at is how do we bring up godly men yeah. at the local church level to to be a remedy to this because it, it truly is. It's like we're looking to the SBC to be our savior in a way, mm-hmm. and, and really that needs to happen. The accountability really is falls with us. Yeah, yeah. So we got a viewer question, and and I think that it actually is kind of a nice little way to move things along. I guess today the Southern Baptist Convention retired the SBC gavel. Um, there are things like that that are occurring uh, in our denomination. What- Did you get a watch? Did you get a pocket watch for being retired? I mean, old chain. Or, where does the gavel go now? Is there an old gavel home? I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, well, it's just silly, and I see it as pandering. Uh, I guess what would be, in my opinion, uh, it is important to recognize, like, what are these other examples of pandering to critical race theory and intersectionality that we see uh, that you all have been made aware of, I guess? I'll go with just the the way I kind of received the SBC president's message that he put out. I I felt like those words of justice were being used as a bludgeon as opposed to a legitimate call to repentance. You know, use this terminology, Black Lives Matter, because I said so or sit in the the corner in color is kind of what I walked away feeling like I was being told. And I, I see that as a pandering to. A, a outside movement, an outside religion, really, is the way it's being kind of received, mm. at least on my part. It's it's gospel and, like we said. So that's one way, I would say, from the top of the SBC. Um, um, see that. Yeah, David, I, w- I want to go back to the question, you know, how do we... How do we at the local level address, you know, these issues, right, at, from behind the pulpit and behind our teaching ministries? Uh, first of all, I think we need to um, change the conversation. Yeah. And, and what do I mean by that? Are we, are we saying, what are we saying? So what, what is the conversation that ought to be happening? The conversation that ought to be happening is endemic sin and systemic manifestations of sin. Yes. That is the conversation that really needs to be happening. This is an endemic sin issue because we live in a fallen world. Yeah. And the only solution is Christ. 
It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is Christ. So when we take our eyes off of Christ, um, then we have to focus on something else. We're binary. We, we, you know, this, this idea that we can multitask is a lie. That just means that you can do very little on a bunch of things at the one, at, 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 in, in one space of time. That's all that really means. You know, I mean, <laughs> multitasking is a lie, all right? So, so we're binary. We're either on something or we're off of it. We're, we can't do it. That's called schizophrenia if you be able to do anything like that, right? Your mind is divided. But we need to get back on the issue. The issue is... Um, Christ. Christ is the issue, and the issue is what separates us from Christ. Yeah. Now, how do we deal with that from behind the pulpit or teaching? One, teach theology. We need to teach theology. Yeah. You know, we need to stop saying, well, you know, the Trinity is like ice, you know, yes. water, and steam. All right, Bo, that, that's a heresy, all right? Um, and you need to watch the Lutheran cartoons, and you will have a blast dealing with that. I hey, Patrick. Hey, Patrick. I'm just going to stab you in the eye, Patrick. Oh, that went too far. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, need to, we, need to, we need to teach theology. We, we need to teach church history. And, and we need to understand that Augustine and his polemic against Rome was right on the mark. The, 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 the hallmark of a perfect society is perfect justice and that is not to be found on this planet yeah and just to, you know, to, huh, go ahead on. Yeah, as i was gonna say to add to that though you're you're telling us to go to martin luther if that gavel got retired yeah then we have to retire martin luther we have to retire calvin we have to retire all this stuff because they sinned and there is no forgiveness and repentance. That's why CRT is horrible. That's why the gavel, uh, as a pandering move, is horrible. Because you're saying that this guy, we cannot forgive him for, yes, we, we can say that he was, a, he was a slave owner, right? But we also got to say, this is, again, letting the gospel be the offense, Something has to be offensive. The gospel is offensive, and the gospel says that the racist slave owner can repent and be saved. And so, from the other side of the table, you know, and so whenever I mention Martin Luther around Reformation Day, I've got my thorn in the flesh that constantly comes comes after me, going, "Oh, look what German, look what Germany did with his teachings and stuff." And I'm like. I know Luther was a horrible person, and I have a standard to judge Martin Luther's actions and say that was horrible and this was right. But it's not Martin Luther being the standard. It's something above that. And I was like, you don't have that. And so this is what critical race theory is going to do. It's, it's going to take away the standard. It'll replace it. And then it's a secular humanistic standard. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. You're, you're, you're hitting at, at, the, at the heart of... of of what we, as we've discussed this personally, yeah. um, amongst ourselves. At the end of the day, it's God, no God. Mm. And I think Tillich said it best. Uh, it's not that uh, there's no such thing as an atheist. It's just that you've, re you've replaced God with a, an idol. Yeah. You know, everybody believes in something. And critical race theory at the end of the day is a belief system. Yes. That, that's what it is. 
And it is very scary for me as a Christian to see how, how rapidly this thing is moving. It, I mean, it became a shibboleth. When you listen to the, the SBC president's uh, speech or address to the SBC, it's, Black Lives Matter now is a shibboleth. It, yeah. This is, if you, we need to embrace this because it's a gospel issue. So one of the things that I've yeah. noticed, uh, and um, I think about this also from a communication theory stand, standpoint and position. So, you know, uh, that discipline is always going to be seen. Uh, that's going to be a lens through which I, I view uh, exchanging of symbols, right? Uh, communication uh, in action. And one of the things I see as far as a communication theory, particularly in the Southern Baptist Convention, is we can view for the very first time groupthink dividing us. And now I don't know how familiar each of you are with groupthink, but there's essentially eight basic premises of groupthink, and I'm not going to get through each and every one of them, but there's basically the mind police, right? If you say this, then you, ought, then you need to shut up. If you don't mm. say this right. Also... If you don't agree, because one of the highest um, values within group and group theory is your uh, cohesion as a group. If you say something that is opposed to the group, then you're standing in the way. And then, of course, you have uh, basically people want you to puppet what they say. So what we can see very clearly is if I don't say Black Lives Matter, just like J.D. Greer, then I better shut up. That is extremely problematic for us as a denomination that values the autonomy of the local church. And that has essentially been thrown out the door. And, uh, man, I don't even know what we, what we do with that. And then here's the other little issue. Um, while I am Native American, I don't generally try to pull that card. So I'm not going to. I'm going to say, here we are, two white guys, right? We can't say anything about this. I've seen literally on Southern Baptist forums where someone said, well, you're just two white guys talking about race, so you better not even, you better shut up, essentially. That's standpoint theory in, excuse me, that is spiral of silence theory in action. Yeah. You can't say anything because you don't have the credentials to speak. Uh, and this is the other thing that's overwhelming. I have done the very best I could. Adam has watched me spend the last year reading as many critical race theory pieces as I could so that I could understand where we, where we were on this. And then I'll go to a Baptist, a Baptist forum of Southern Baptist pastors and I'll say, who's read White Fragility? Who's read Said I Ain't Gonna Tell Nobody? Who's read Black Theology and Black Power? Who's read Removing the Stains of, of Racism from the SBC? Who's read The Color of Compromise? Who's read... Um, and I, there's, there's some other books, uh, Beyond Black Roots, and I'll have nobody, no one has read those things except for like two people, except they're going to grab onto the language of critical theory and critical race theory and then attack me. I mean, uh, what kind of reception have you guys seen when you've actually spoken out to other pastors about this? Um, well, I haven't uh, spoken uh, to any other pastors like that as hmm. far as Southern Baptist. Um, yeah. Talked about intersectionality with a uh, PCA pastor and um, just thinking about what is going on here. And the problem with intersectionality is that 
it divides the world into um, oppressor oppressed category. And the problem with that is that whoever defines the category of oppressor is the one who's really in control. Um, and that changes. That changes with the, with the individual. So what I find that what I, what I find interesting is I keep I, I just keep thinking about about Animal Farm. It's just Animal Farm. If you watch Animal Farm or you read or whatever, I mean, you'll see what happens. Those that become uh, hungry for power, hungry for power, and, and and achieve that power, will do everything in their power to maintain that status. Yeah. Um, and so. First of all, I think when it comes to language, we need to reclaim biblical language. We need to reclaim biblical categories. We we, we need to deal with sinner, saint. Uh, first of all, we hear from Southern Baptist pap, uh, uh, pulpits quite a bit. We're all sinners, but the problem with that is that if we're all sinners, that means Christ did not redeem us. And sinners are under the wrath of God. Now, we are fallen and regenerate, which means... We are saints who struggle with sin. Yeah. But we're not sinners. Sinners are under the wrath of God. Yes. Paul never writes a letter to the sinners at Corinth. Paul never writes a letter to the sinners at Galatia. Paul never writes a letter to the sinners at um, Ephesus. He writes to the saints. Now, we struggle with sin because we, we live in a fallen world. We still are struggling with the old man, that old nature. Yeah. But we are regenerate in that Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and therefore we are a new creation in Christ. We are categorically different. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And since, we yeah, and like you said, just God. to add to that, you know, Paul does say, since we um, don't know Christ in an earthly way anymore, since we know him in a heavenly way, therefore you are to know each other. In the heavenly way, you're supposed to take the eternal categories from God, not your appearance on there. But I just want to add that real quick. That's Excellent. another major. Excellent, because now let's let's talk about that. Why are we letting sinners define saints? Yeah. And why are we borrowing sinner ideology, philosophy, to define Christian doctrine? and gospel issues. Those are questions that I, that, that I think are, are central. It's not that we don't, that the people in the pews that we don't believe and that we don't love Jesus. It's not that. And it's not a desire to love Christ and love one. It's, it's, it's a teaching issue. Yeah. It's, it's a teaching issue. And, you know, so you'll say, well, people don't want to learn theology at church. Yeah, that's true. Two-year-olds don't want to take their medicine either. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're, that it's the same idea, the same equal uh, comparison. But the reality is that sometimes what is good for you may not always be what you want. Exactly. And, and the shepherding aspect and the walking with one another aspect is important. And you and I were having this conversation today, Jason. We are spiritually a community. But most of our, our churches are no longer central in our community, so we don't have that external fellowship and accountability that's required to live in the community of God. Because we, we, we come in from different places. We, we're no longer like that. And, and I think that that's getting back to what you were asking originally, David. How do we do that? How do we address this 
from behind all the teaching ministries at the, in the church, from music, because music teaches. As a matter of fact, I would, I would say most, most, most Southern Baptist theology is, the, is derived from the hymns. Or, or uh, yeah. bad worship songs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not going to call those uh, hymns at all. <laughs> no, bad worship songs, exactly. I mean, Limericks. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean. We're not even we're not even ready to have the conversation about why that statement is so troubling, um, and why we need to say something at the at, and, 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 at the local level. It's at the local level yeah. that we need to do that. And I, I, I'll I'll be quiet now because I mean I'm, I'm sorry I'm, I'm monopolizing time and I shouldn't do that. Well, uh, just to build on what he said and to get back to where you were talking about, uh, here's how you have to say, and if you can't say this, then be quiet. That's not even an option right now. It's here's what you have to say. Here's how you have to say it. And silence is not an option. So your option is to say what we say, how you we want you to say it. So there is not even a how can we reclaim and go back to a biblical truth. If this is my only option. Here's what you have to do. I have seen that happen. I will just be very straightforward. Um, for the last two weeks, I have tried to be very quiet on Facebook. Um, I'll share a little bit here, a little bit there about something, but generally nothing that is dealing with this cultural issue. Uh, it's because people that I have, that I see our fellow pastors are saying crazy things and they don't, and I, God bless them. I, I mean, I, I hope that God blesses them to repentance because they've adopted a mindset that is so counter to what uh, we should believe as uh, when it comes to the primacy of Scripture. I mean, I can't even say anything about how, what does the Bible say about race? What does the Bible say about justice? It is no, you need to grab onto BLM, otherwise you're not saying it right. And if you don't say it exactly like this, then you've got a problem. I mean, I have seen people share the article by um, uh, James Boyce, I think. No, not James Boyce. uh, Josh Boyce, uh, the guy who uh, directs G3, right? And it said, why Christians should not support Black Lives Matter. I've seen people just get ridiculed like Mm -hmm. crazy because they shared that. The article actually, ironically enough, begins with a premise from how should Christians think about racial tension issues. Uh, This is not the same as a civil rights movement, but it's being framed that way, and then you're ridiculed if you don't adopt that idea. And that's what's crazy and and scary. And and here's the reality. There is racial inequality. That's That's a real thing. But should that be the primary goal? I mean, how do we deal now, because we've had this incredible explosion of racial tension show up, like, Obviously, that has to change some of the way that we engage, but it shouldn't change the content. Does that make sense? So I just want to ask the question, is there racial inequality in China? Oh, yeah, of course. So it's inequality. It's injustice. At the end of the day, it's injustice. Um, and, And that's what you were getting at, Jim, this is a righteousness, a justice issue mm-hmm. that's before us. Um, I, it's kind of, what I love about what Paul does in, in Timothy when he's dealing with women 
in authority in the church, whatever it may have been, you know, using our terminology, some type of egalitarian movement or maybe some type of high priestess, whatever it was at that time. He bypasses all of that and he goes to Genesis. Yeah. He says in the beginning, and then he talks about the created order. He talks about man being made first. So we need to bypass that. And let's talk about what the issue is. The issue is sin. Mm -hmm. But you can't have sin if you don't have God. Yeah. And, and so it's a, for me, it's a theistic and non-theistic issue. Um, so... If you buy into critical race theory, whatever, you're buying into that man can exact some type of justice. But who determines what's just? Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've spoken to the issue, and I think it's a wonderful thing that we need to understand, like, because uh, critical race theory comes from a mindset um, to where I've had to, I, I had to tell somebody outright um, which is, you know, he's, I would say he's a Japanese, um, not, you know, he's my age, Japanese, um, guy that, you know, he lived here in middle America, moved out to the East coast. And I had to just go, the only common thing between you and a white supremacist is the soup you both struggled to get out of that's all you're going to have. And so, yes, they recognize in their worldview there is nothing but oppressor and oppression. So to get out of the soup, the stuff had to fight each other to then be able to crawl out of the soup to get to you and me. They're trying to... So they expose the fact that they can't live in their worldview because they don't like it. They They want justice, but then it comes down to justice matters what is justice what is a person what does it mean to be a color like you know we have to get in the philosophical realm and so we're trying to fight for commonality up here whenever the foundations are what need to be talked about and nobody wants to talk about that um, and that's again where the problem lies so i don't want to fight with my sbc brothers in the lord um I don't want to fight with professors at the institution that I am so blessed to work for. But how do I engage them in one-on-one -on -one conversations? What do I say to them? How do I bring them back to it and at least communicate uh, in a Christ-centered way? Like, uh, there are professors that I, I admire and I'm very thankful for. And I've seen some say, stay silent and I've seen some make statements, but like, how do I address some of those individuals? I mean, maybe I'm asking because I really don't know what I generally want to do. And I'm also looking to folks who uh, I believe would be great in giving me advice on that. Uh, my initial blush with it would be question and listen, you know, quick to listen, so to speak, slow yeah. to anger, um, you know, Mind of the second Timothy, you know, Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach. And part of being able to teach is being teachable ourselves. And, and there's a communication issue. I think there's a lot of talking past one another right now. Um, and a lot of the, uh, the way you were saying earlier with the group think is a attempt to muzzle the gospel by redefining it and saying, this is what you have to say, or 
don't say it at all, which we know we are directly commanded to go and tell the nation. So that's not an option for us. But I think within that, we, we've really got to have conversations with people we have relationships with. We can't just, you know, go scream in somebody's face, you know, because Jesus said, which is, I think, often what's be, what's happening right now is we're just yelling at one another mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, hey, my brother, you know, what, what is critical race theory? Let me hear what you're interpreting. And then knowing the Bible, let's look to the scriptures. Is this something we can see in the scripture? And that, that's got to be our litmus test all the time, or else it's going to quickly delve into philosophies. You know, we see that in Colossians, the elementary principles of the world. Um, and, and there's no place for that in the gospel. We, we were all reconciled under Christ. You know, we're dead in our, you know, we're dead. You know, now we're raised again. And so, we, just like you said earlier, we got to have this heavenly mindedness about everything. Um, so that's my first, you know, kind of thoughts on how to have that conversation in humility. It's got to be in humility. And I think a lot of that starts with, we've already addressed it though, but uh, the local church, it's, uh, you have, you have your leadership, whatever, whatever that looks like in your, your present church, uh, you know, single ed pastors, if you have a plurality, but are you able to have these conversations where there is disagreements? And we're not talking about the, the non-negotiable core issues though but uh, eschatological disagreement are you able to have a conversation in love in christ and still walk away as brothers in unity and i think that that's not happening at the lower levels so we're expecting it to happen at the uh, the, the convention levels and higher and if we're not actually addressing that even locally then i don't see how it's going to be able to be addressed whether you're talking to professors or uh, leadership in the uh, the convention i say I, i've not seen it often i love these brothers right here we have conversations and we're not always in agreement, so it's not always just listening to an echo chamber, but we're able to, it, it's in love, it's in Christ, and those uh, disagreements are never gospel deteriorating issues. So that, I think that's where it needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think, David, to answer your question, I think um, prayer, um, pray, first of all, for God to reveal the sin in your life mm. and yeah. to pray for God to reveal your intention. You know, is this a, is my intent to glorify God or is my intent to win an argument? What, what is my intent, God? So clarify my intention and pray for them that uh, God would be working upon them to quicken them to, to respond to gospel argumentation and, and to a substantial gospel truth. Um, then the other part is to Figure out what your non-negotiables are. And then once you understand what the non-negotiables are, then we have to start from a place of agreement. So find out what their non-negotiables are. And then you have to draw a line. And this is the part that's really difficult for us. Yeah. Um, I learned this from a friend of mine recently. Um, he was talking about family issues, and he goes, you know, I don't talk to my parents because blah, blah, blah. And he said, I've drawn a line. I'm willing to come up to the line, but I'm not going to go past the line. You need to meet me at the line. And I think that that's what we're, what we're not doing, I don't think. I think we're trying to uh, take on this position of appeasement, this, this chamberlain position that never really works. Um, and one concession leads to another concession leads to another concession, and ultimately 
Um, it's not enough. You will never satisfy the human appetite for sin. It, 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 it's infinite. It's immeasurable. But I think that that's the way to go about it. Um, I think prayer is the first place. And we don't need to start with God searching our own hearts because sometimes we get into a discussion with someone and we're thinking that we are sharing the gospel. But in reality, well, we're, we're sharing the word, but the intent of our heart is to win or to crush or to whatever. It's not the right intent. Um, it's an intent issue. And for us, um, that's how we start uh, elder meetings is, you know, what, why do we want to do this? Well, our intent is to glorify God. Is that the intent among all of us? Then let's pray about how we approach our actions. But that's the way I would suggest that. Um, and in humility, as Jason said, uh, be humble and realize um, that only God can change the heart. But at the end of the day, it's the same. It's the same war. Did God really say? And can God bring about what he has said? And it's, it's always been the same thing from Genesis 3 all the way down. Has God really spoken? Um, and I think that's the same issue now. Um, I'm anyways. Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely encouraged by this. And, and, and I, I think about my church uh, that I'm so fortunate to get to, to serve uh, the Lord at. And I think one of the things that we've missed um, at least among the Southern Baptist churches that I'm a part of, is there is a um, the convention focus of numbers and baptisms get and, and cooperative program dollars gets surpassed by the real focus, which should be let me strengthen your foundations because only God's word can do that. And so we have people with a very weak foundation looking at these national statistics, and they can't even see the national statistics and interpret them rightly because they have no foundation from which to view any of those things because they're not even thinking from a Christian worldview. They're thinking from a... Uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa type of worldview uh, that is, uh, you know, only two foot tall, though. It's so slanted and twisted that they can't see the big picture right. I hope that my analogy makes a little bit of sense mm -hmm. there. I'm not trying to be late in flowers, I promise. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we're expecting our people to be concerned about some of these national uh, convention issues when they don't even see things right in their own church. Yeah. And uh, to me, that's where the real challenge is, the real charge is. I don't care about the national picture so much. I need to start right here in my church. And I shouldn't even be worried about the national conversation until things are right in my home church. And I, and I wish I'm, you know, but we've already got ourselves in bed as Southern Baptists, right, with giving to the cooperative program. And using LifeWay material. So we're in a really weird situation. While we say we have autonomy, do we really have autonomy? And yeah, that's a tough question. That's a whole can of worms, man. Yeah. Man, yeah. man, when, when the church goes to bed with the publishing house, there's a problem. That's all I'm going to say about that. 
Yeah, right on. Yeah. Well, and then for for pastors, elders, church leaders, you know, it, it's sometimes easier to look inward and go, hey, I'm, I'm taking care of my own house, but all the while we're sending hundreds of thousands of dollars to things we will, if we ever looked at them, we would say, I probably don't agree with 99% of that. So it's an easy way of just kind of neglecting as opposed to overseeing matters, which we're supposed to oversee all matters, not yeah. just what, what we may be good at. Yeah. So, let me ask you a question, David, because you would know what percentage of church plants fail from the from NAM. Do you know that statistic off the top of your I noggin? Do not know that I should have known that, but it is a it it's is about a high 50, percentage. Right? Fifty to eighty percent. I think like that's that. correct. I think that's correct, sir. But I, let me ask you this, bro. You ready? If you're investing your money into a fund that is losing. 50 to 80 percent of your funds would you continue putting your dollar in there there no no i wouldn't what is so why are we because i think about your dad david yeah right i think about your dad who's been faithfully serving god in rural kansas for what 20 30 years 35 years in, in two very small churches, working maybe sometimes three jobs, right? Four two jobs. <laughs> okay, so there you go. You shortchange him on everything. But we're willing to take NAM money and go plant a pick your soup du jour flavor church and not support the guy who's out there day in and day out. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. And you talk about the numbers issue. It's the wrong standard of measure. You want to know how healthy you're, and, I, and I'm using the healthy terminology because I, I don't agree with that. I think that terminology is wrong. We ought to be asking how godly are our congregants? Yes. What does a godly church look like? Not a healthy church. A godly church you want to know how effective your ministry is or how effective you are at conveying the word of god to people the standard of measure is how they are living in submission to the word of god when they leave the building amen that is the standard of a measure of a godly church that is that is the standard not the number of people you come in through the door not the number of activities. That's a busy church. Busy yeah. does not equal godly, does not equal regenerate. Again, it comes down to yeah, pragmatism and the fact that the standard is being faithful, not the results. The God that's does exactly, do the results. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. You know, you go out there, you till your ground. What, what is, is in the gospel, you till your ground, you pull your weeds, you sow your seed, you walk, and you do what? You go to bed. Yeah. Come back, yeah. do the same thing. Look, we have a turnover rate in pastors. That's why your dad, for me, is such an encouraging guy. Because 35 years? Mm -hmm. Dude, most pastors are switching every couple years. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like the presidency. You don't like, you don't like what's going on with this administration? You don't like the foreign policy? What do nations do? Wait four years because the foreign policy is going to change. Well, yeah. and John, that's one thing that you've, thankfully, you know, I've had a good example with my father, but one thing that I've really always appreciated with you is stay, 
and work hard, stay and invest. And um, it's not always easy, but that's what God has called us to do, like as pastors. And one of the other problems, I'm just going to call it out as Southern Baptist. Uh, this is not pick on Southern Baptist Churches Day, by the way, because I am proudly a Southern Baptist in many ways. I'm disappointed with some things, but there's that jumping in bed with the publisher. Once we elevate to the cultural icon pastor and we say, that's what you need to be, all you see is stair step up, stair step up. And I can, I can, I can look at the appeal to that and I can say, no, that's not what God's called me to do. And then I can look at the way that our seminaries too often glorify that type of stair-step mentality in the ministry. And it's just, it's very troubling. Yeah. So in this uh, whole, you know, autonomy thing, what are you, like, are you guys, have you um, started doing stuff in your own churches, talking, like, you know, Sunday school um, community groups, like what have you guys uh, done with your your congregations and stuff? Kind of um, how you're steering the ship um, in that direction. Word word focused. We yeah. we don't use resources outside the Bible for teaching. Um, we we try to preach through books at a time, and then Sunday school we teach through the previous week's sermon. Hmm. Um, to get that repetition going, we're catechizing. Um, we, we don't do community groups. It's not that we're against anything like that. It's just not where we're at as a church right now. Um, we, we tend to try to stay open to ideas, but we realize that when we try to do something out of turn, it doesn't happen. And and in God's timing, it it does happen. And of course, uh, coronavirus is a great example of that. We've had to uh, focus on a website and Facebook where none of the None of the guys really care for the technology aspect of it, but you know, it's it's just answering the 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 call to be responsible, you know, to the Lord and serve the congregation in all circumstances as best we can. Um, and then regarding the SBC ness of things, right now um, we don't we're not really focused so much on the minutia that some other churches are, and I think rightfully are and should be. Um, just because that's not where we're at right now. But as we're getting confronted with things, we, we're developing responses, looking at scriptures, making sure we're unified as elders, and then um, bringing that before the congregation as needed to teach. You know, and that's really, it's that shepherding aspect of it. We really try to keep, keep focused on, you know, we're under shepherds, the shepherd. And so we, we genuinely have a weighty responsibility to care for the flock. And we take that very serious. And it goes with John was saying, the intent of the heart, um, you know, constantly repenting of our own sin, asking for God to expose us to our own sin so we can repent of that and come humbly before our congregation and, and serve them. Um, so I don't know if that fully answered the question or if either of y'all have something to add to that. Well, and again, uh, John mentioned it in, uh, like before we get into a, a meeting, anything that's going to be discussed, uh, how is God glorified in this? Is is God getting glory in this, or is it the intention for us to get the glory? So um, regardless of whether something is is 
uh, right or wrong, uh, is God getting the glory in it is the first uh, mindset that we have for in any direction. And I, like I say, I appreciate these guys and keeping everybody in check. And that's the focus there because we can get spun up and it's really easy. Uh, we, we all have our emotions that can run wild and how we want to approach something. But uh, having brothers to keep us accountable and like, well, how is God being glorified in this? All right. And I, I know just getting a phone call at the right time is encouraging. So when you're looking at bigger issues as it pertains to shepherding, how is God being glorified and what is your intention is absolutely the, uh, the forefront of, of all the thought process, prayer and glory to God. Yeah. I think uh, one of the, to answer your question is um, the sin issue, you know, is, is really very difficult sometimes because we don't like to be that honest with ourselves, you know, um, particularly when we're dealing in elder bodies and, and, and I'm using really the overseer office because I think that's probably the, the, the way we're thinking categorically. The office is overseer where you see the visible rule of Christ uh, through the proper administration and of the word and prayer and, and, and shepherding and the service office where you see the visible a care of Christ for uh, the body through the deacon office. You have the overseer office and the deacon office, overseers populated by elders. When we first started eldering, we thought, well, you know, 25%, 25%, we, we thought all elders are the same. You know, we, we're just going to do that. But that doesn't work that way. That actually, um, the way we're coming to understand that is that the office, the overseer office has the authority of minister the word in prayer. And God populates that office with elders who are gifted in different ways. One of the problems that we have as elders is um, you always feel like you're not doing enough. Like you need to do more. You need to do more. Or, you know, somebody mentions a book that you haven't read. You're like, oh, man, I need to read that book and put away. It's, it's this. That's a sin issue. And, and really to being honest with, with one another and realizing, you know, that, that we need to be mindful of our own sin issues, but also be mindful of our brother's sin issues and weaknesses. That's not always easy. That's not always easy because the reason I'm bringing that up in the context of shepherding the church is because sometimes we project our sin issues on congregants or we project our knowledge base on congregants. Uh, what was really helpful, you know, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I don't. Are you a pastor also, Adam? Are you shepherding as an elder um, somewhere? Or? I'd be a community group leader, um, and okay. then this ministry. Are you shepherding? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shepherding. There, there is. Oh, yeah, there is. It's not in the official status or anything, but yeah, I mean, we all shepherd. We're supposed to be shepherding each other anyway, as so, as congregations. So, so sometimes, you know, as as we're shepherding people, you know, we've all felt like, well, I'm doing this and other people, why aren't they doing that? I'm, we've talked about this a gazillion times. Why aren't they, what, what seems to be the problem, you know? Um, and Hebrews chapter 6 is very helpful to me. By this time, you, know, you should be on solid food, but you have me to go back to the mill. Why? Because God hasn't given it to you yet. Mm -hmm. We shepherd at God's pace. And that is a very hard lesson to learn, to shepherd at the pace of the shepherd mm -hmm. and to understand that it's not that 
It's not how fast you're moving forward. It's that you're moving forward as the body of Christ wherever you're at. And you're still traveling on that road with all the saints that are coming after us, the saints that are with us, and we're following the footsteps of the saints that have gone before to that heavenly Jerusalem. It's to understand that we are not isolated, but rather we are part of of this great story, which is the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're joining Augustine. You know, we, we joined all these saints that are all these saints that are just like us, imperfect and struggled with sin, but now are perfected because they no longer have this 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 mortal coil to quote Shakespeare and to be gracious. Yeah. Just to be gracious, man, because as Jason said, I was an Armenian before I could spell Armenian. (laughs) (laughs) Then I I was a Calvinist before I knew who Calvin was. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was a Molinist before I knew it. I was a Molinist. I I didn't even know it for a while. And then I definitely, and then I got corrected. (laughs) <laughs> and then, then you know, you, but at some point you become universalist more yeah we're all going to have, when we all get to have it hey buddy yeah not all of us are going to get there yeah and that's the conversation that we need to really have is amongst elders pastors overseers leaders in the church hmm. how do we shepherd faithfully how does how did your dad do it for 35 years, man? How do you do that? You Spend get up time every day. Yeah. You pray and you keep going. That's right. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, your dad's a real inspiration to me, David. He really, really is. Um, because of, of that faithfulness. And it's not him. It's Christ in him. Amen. Hmm. Amen. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. Yeah. I, so, John, I had planned to try to get you on the podcast quite a while ago. Uh, I knew I wanted to have you on. And little did I know I was going to get you and, and some of your colleagues. Uh, it is so good to have had all three of you on the program. Um, you have an open invitation. If you have something that you really think you need to come on and speak about, we would love to to hear from you. And, and what we probably need to do is do a, a program sometime uh, where John basically just talks us through, or maybe the group of you talk us through a little bit of the um, Pilgrim's Progress and uh, what a great teaching tool that is in your church, because I know you use that, or maybe yeah. even uh, come on sometime and talk about why you catechize and what that looks like, um, because those are all useful pieces that a lot of people are not discussing, or people mm. think you're crazy if you say them in your church. Yeah. And so uh, we will probably have to schedule to have you guys come on sometime to talk about that uh, in the future. And so, but thank you so much. Uh, we will let you guys go because in your state, it is now uh, a little bit after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Thank y'all for allowing me to speak and, and all of that. I mean, I'm just I'm just a bald headed Puerto Rican guy from the Bronx, man. I'm no I'm no great intellect, but I do think we need to think as Christians. Yeah, I, amen. Yeah, I do think that. Yeah, Thanks, appreciate. Guys. 
No, thank yeah, you guys for, sure. for coming on. So yeah, keep serving your king, serve him, serve your congregation, love them, teach them, lead them, and you know I pray be praying for you guys that you guys will definitely um, see growth um, in this mess of just race and and image and I don't know just there's so much going on I just pray that you know God protects you guys and your in your congregations in this and that I hope he ra- raises leadership out of you guys and that uh, North Carolina sees an influx of just good gospel preaching and action um, is what we need so but yeah thank you guys for taking the initiative and keep on going see you later Thanks, all right, well, uh, guys, I think uh, the the major theme that uh, keeps on going on, um, just surrounding all this, we need to talk. That's we right. need Amen. to talk. We need to say, I have no clue what critical race theory is. If you don't, um, you don't have to accept that somebody is an ex- expert, but listen to them. I think that's the major thing. We need to sit and listen. Amen. We need to get around each other. We need to get off the computers. We need to get off the keyboards. We need to get around each other, especially if we're going to say anything. And so I think this is something that my buddy Jeff Bates, you know, um, has said, you know, if we're going to be keyboard warriors, we better be ready to actually get out there and talk about it, not just hang back. And so that's something that that's why we did Generation of Kings. That's why he did it was like, hey, I'm, I'm sitting here on Facebook talking about all this stuff. But, you know, I, you know, if I'm asked to go and talk about it in public, you know, if I'm willing to do it here. I should dang well be willing to do it out there. And so we need to come out of our electronic fog here, especially since we were forced into it from the the the, the pandemic and whatnot. Um, we need to come back. We need to talk. We need to work on our ethos. Um, we need to study the logos and go out to the pathos and listen, talk, serve, be feet. And that's the way that we're going to see this critical race theory stuff defeated if if we know our biblical categories. Again, apologetics is about knowing the right thing first, the real that's thing. That's right. And so, hey, Lifeway had it in there. There's one thing they had in there is like they had a, the, the illustration of the $100 bill. How do they know what a $100 bill is? Do they study all the counterfeits that have ever been known to man? Or do they study the real thing enough to know when they got a counterfeit $100 bill in their hand? And so you got to know where you are at first. You got to know your de- God's definitions of reality before you challenge other people's definitions of reality, and then hold them to that standard and show them that they can't beat the standard and have that definition. So um, I think that's pretty much Adam, sums up what I we really enjoyed doing talked this about. Program but with you, man, I hope you know that it is such yeah. an encouragement to me. But, yeah, but it and just needs to. I just need to make sure we need to put feet. That's what the world right. is calling for. We need to put feet on the ground. We need to have serving hands. Yes. And we need to have hearing ears and loving hearts and love unlovable people. Amen. Yeah. I think you So, yeah. All I can do to that is say amen. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, I'll get on a soapbox and preach. But, yeah, uh, thank you guys uh, for being with us again today. Um, I hope that this has edified you. I hope that this gives you a lot of stuff to chew on. Um, have conversations with us. Um, we can actually have a conversation online. But, hey, if you right. um, want to meet with us, we're not unreachable. We're not untouchable. Um, if you want to get a hold of us and go out and have coffee or meet somewhere, um, have us at your church to talk um, through things. I've talked, if you want to talk about catechisms, I've done that. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've talked about that stuff before. I'd like to talk about catechisms and confessions and stuff like that. It'd be fun. We do need so, to have that program. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, I've already had a sermon on. We can I know, man. dissect I, some stuff, I whatever. I didn't think about that until yeah. they were talking about it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, anything like that. But, guys, uh, thank you. And I will just, I think that will end the show. So, with the Tag Your It podcast, I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.